If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you had a fabulous weekend. I did. It was pretty chill, um, so I hope you did as well. And uh, yeah, if you're going to get some socks, get some TNT socks. Why would you not? Who doesn't want TNT socks? And also, don't forget, uh, the TNT shop in general is uh, available. The holidays are literally right around the corner. I'm panicking a little bit. I'm usually much further ahead uh, than I am right now, so I am panicking slightly. But uh, get you some socks or some hoodies or some coasters or some water bottles or coffee mugs or whatever the heck you're into. There's a little bit of something for everyone. Um, You can get that over on tntradio.live, I think backslash shop. Um, Okay, so uh, an amazing show lined up. Our pal, friend of the show, Kyle Anslin is going to be here. Uh, He's an incredible journalist. And as always, there's a ton of things to talk about when Kyle is here. He writes articles for both the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com all the time. I think he is just writing all the time, three, four, five, six, seven articles uh, a day, it feels like. So I have so many tabs open on my computer. Let's hope I I can keep it all together. Uh, but before we bring him in, a couple of quick things that I just wanted to mention uh, briefly here. First of all, it's spreading. And by it, I mean censorship, fascism, authoritarianism, you know, all of my favorite things. Um, so the hate speech law in Ireland, this is a big, this is a big deal. I need everybody to check this out. Even if you're not in Ireland, I think that um, uh, this is very problematic for Western countries in general, because this is, we've already seen these sorts of things cropping up here and there. We're starting to see, we talked about the one that's happening in New York. Um, uh, and we're starting to see these uh, pop up in various different states, countries. Um, so definitely check this out. Keep an eye on it. If you're in Ireland, for the love of everything we hold dear, please fight against this. It is terrible. So there's a hate speech law in Ireland that they are preparing to pass. Um, And some people are saying that it is arguably the most radical legislation of its kind that we have seen so far in the West. I would venture to say that that might be the case. Um, It's pretty bad. So it criminalizes the mere possession of materials that are, quote, likely to incite violence or hatred, end quote. And that means books, videos, or even memes on your phone. So if you save a meme, a funny meme makes you laugh, uh, and they decide that it could incite violence or hatred. And remember, um, that's a very broad sentence there, uh, that it's likely to incite violence or hatred. They get to decide what that means and what uh, falls under that umbrella. So this is, in my opinion, insanity, pure insanity. Um, so it, it also, we should mention too, that just recently, um, uh, I think it was, yes, uh, Ireland's Green Party Senator O'Reilly, uh, go check this speech out. Disclose uh, TV tweeted this out. You can find them at Disclose TV. Um, and uh, she gave a little speech and she said she the 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 whole common good y'all we got to do it for the the greater good the common good and she said that quote we are restricting freedom for the common good end quote nothing good ever comes when they say something like that that's never a good thing i think we all know that um so it's uh if you're in ireland definitely fight against that like crazy um uh, Claire Daly, Mick Wallace, those are my two uh, personal favorite politicians. And I say that very loosely because I don't really like politicians in general, but they are two of the good ones. Um, uh, hopefully they will be able to effectively fight back against this. But it's also, it's not just Ireland. There's also some news out of Canada. CTV News, which is Canada's most watched news organization, both locally and nationally, 
has decided to ban the word Palestine. I mean, really? Are we really going to do that? I guess we're really going to do that. Um, so uh, again, this is something that's really uh, troubling. And um, we need to also pay attention very closely to uh, Twitter because our dear friend Elon Musk, Mr. Free Speech Savior himself, just visited Israel today, visited uh, the occupied territories of Palestine Um and uh, he is hanging out with Benjamin Netanyahu and has some very interesting things to say. For example, uh, he, he went and watched the, uh, the whatever, that movie that they made about the October 7th killings. Um, I don't know how accurate it is. I've not seen it. I don't know many people that have. I don't. And we know that they make stuff like this up. We know that they're not above um, uh, completely fabricating a video uh, like that. So I don't know what's on that video. But he, uh, he says that he has seen that where uh, he sees the killing of an and civilians and all of that good stuff. Um, but he's also talking about uh, hate speech and anti-Semitic blah, blah, blah. Um, so do not be surprised if Elon Musk comes back from his trip to Israel and uh, decides that more censorship is needed on his <laughs> free speech platform. Um, it's not that would not surprise me in any way. Um, uh, as he said, those who, in, who those who are intended to murder must be neutralized. Then the propaganda must stop. That is training people to be the murderers in the future, and then make and then making gods are prosperous. And if that happens, I think it will be a good future. Um, so what he's uh, failing to realize here is that the propaganda is uh, by and large coming from Israel. Uh, again, not to say that Hamas does not also participate in propaganda. Literally everybody does. Um, so there's no question about it. But I think that we have seen over the course of this situation, uh, the numerous lies that Israel has been caught in just in this uh, latest flare up. I mean, they're guilty of this over many decades, but I think it's been uh, very prevalent over the course of the past couple of months. So uh, just be mindful of the fact that uh, Elon might be participating in a, a bit more censorship moving forward uh, after he gets back from his trip. Um, okay, don't forget you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack. It's free to subscribe. There's a write-up for the guests of the day every day so that you can find, follow, and support their work as well. It's mistywinston.substack.com. Um, and if you would like, you can shoot me an email at mistywinston at tntradio.live. If you have a guest idea, show idea, uh, whatever, just hit me up. I'll try to get back to you. And while you're at it, why not give TNT Radio a follow? We are, of course... Uh, fairly heavily shadow banned on certain platforms, uh, but we are on all the major social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Uh, and you can help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. There's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, I didn't know this was a thing. I had no idea, but Merriam-Webster has just picked its word of the year, and it's legit. No, legit is not the word. It's authentic. Authentic is the word, uh, which according to America's oldest dictionary is the top word of 2023. Uh, again, I had no idea that this was a thing. Here with this story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So authentic is the word of the year. That's, uh, that's very interesting to me. I'm I'm shocked you didn't know this was a thing. Um, I did not. It's funny. This this is actually the second time uh, annually now on TNT Radio I get to report about the word of the year. Last year I got to report on it. Uh, it was not your show. I believe it was Hervori Morich's show, or maybe someone else. But the word last year was gaslighting. Uh, was the year's most defining word. Um, I remember speaking about various times throughout my commentary this year, wondering. 
throughout my reporting, like, oh, I bet this X, Y, Z, whatever the word is, might be the word of the year. Uh, no, I, I did not see this one coming. This one caught me by complete surprise. Uh, so here's the report. Um, in a year where artificial intelligence, AI, ushered in a new dimension to the digital age and where social media has at times been a battleground for disinformation. Merriam-Webster, the oldest dictionary publisher in the United States of America, says that its users have one word on the tips of their tongues in 2023, authentic. The AI boom and the growth of so-called deepfakes, where images or videos can be digitally manipulated and deceive viewers, has led to a scenario where it is becoming increasingly difficult to believe one's own eyes when viewing content online oh boy and according to merriam-webster the public's search for clarity has led to a spike in searches for the word authentic as the not separating fact from fiction becomes increasingly difficult to untangle um merriam-webster's editor-at-large peter sokolowski said according to the associated press on monday quote we see in 2023 a kind of crisis on authenticity what we realize is that when we question authenticity we value it even more end quote the publisher added that the renewed interest in the word was propelled in part by quote stories and conversations about ai celebrity culture, identity, and social media, end quote, leading to what it described as a quote-unquote substantial increase in search queries. The dictionary producers also said that singers like Sam Smith and Taylor Swift have also popularized the word this year by making statements about pursuing their quote-unquote authentic voice or quote, authentic self, end quote. Even Elon Musk the owner of X, formerly known as Twitter, was responsible for an uptick in searches for the word after he called for people to be more authentic on the platform. Some of the words that achieved runner-up status also reveal a snapshot of this year's most discussed topics. Deepfake was itself included, as was dead name, which the dictionary defines as, quote, the name that a transgender person was given at birth and no longer uses upon transitioning, end quote. I don't know about that. Uh, the word indict saw a surge in 2023 amid the legal woes of former U.S. President Donald Trump, as did the word dystopian. Also, the word kibitz, kib kibbutz, which refers to communal settlements in Israel, also saw a large spike after Hamas's October 7th cross-border attack on Israel. Um, and as I mentioned last year, Merriam-Webster said his word of the year was gaslighting, a term that describes manipulating another person in an attempt to make them question themselves. So we've moved last year. It was questioning ourselves, Misty. Now we have to question everything. <laughs> but I, I find this very fascinating because here at TNT Radio and the people that I've, I've got to meet and hang out with and work with, uh, I believe that we all would like to consider ourselves authentic. So I find it interesting that this word came up as the word of the year for 2023. But what say you? Um, again, I didn't know this was a thing. I don't know how I missed this being a thing, but I did not know that this was a thing. The last year's word gaslighting makes sense. I feel like literally all of the people on planet earth learned what gaslighting was last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's uh, that word was overused so often and still is. 
uh, very frequently overused or used inappropriately. Um, so I feel like that was a great choice for last year. Um, authentic. I honestly haven't heard. I mean, maybe I just don't hang out with the right people or I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of people using that word. I mean, uh, obviously they mentioned Sam Smith and Taylor Swift people I don't follow. Um, so maybe that's why I'm not uh, understanding it. I guess I understand. I, I mean, with the uh, the kind of, um, diversity, inclusion, all of that stuff, I guess it kind of makes sense. It kind of goes along with that sort of a thing. Um, you know, pursuing, as you said, your authentic voice or your authentic self, um, which listen, I think that's great. I think, yeah, I, I would consider myself an authentic person. I think everybody should try to be an authentic person. It's just a very strange choice to me, given everything else that's going on in the world. Um, I feel like it's, uh, to use another very overused word, it's very basic. Uh, it's a very basic word. I feel like most people understand what that is, but I guess that's not really the criteria that they use. I guess it's mostly just based upon um, uh, search, how many search queries there are uh, about any one particular word. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that the other ones that they had chosen or that were kind of the runners up, I think Deepfake was a really good one and might have encouraged a lot of people to uh, pursue uh, educating themselves about the dangers of of uh, AI and deepfakes, that stuff terrifies me. Deepfakes terrify me. Um, so I feel like that would have been a much better and more educational choice, but maybe that's not the uh, direction they were hoping to go in. Um, uh, and I think it's funny that indict was also one of them in 2023. It's definitely a word that's been heavily used here in the last several months. So uh, dystopian also, I think, would have been a really good word because it's incredibly, it's an accurate depictor. It's an accurate um, uh, descriptor, I'm sorry, of um, <laughs> where we are in the world right now, uh, as it is talked about the increased uh, censorship and all of that stuff. So um, I don't know. Authentic seems like a strange choice, but whatever. What do I know? I'm just some chicken Ohio. What do you think? What do you think about the word authentic, Adam? Well, I find it ironic, actually, uh, there's a good word, uh, that this year's word is authentic on the heels of last year's word being gaslighting, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a a, an interesting conspiracy theory here that these type, these reports, what Merriam-Webster does with this, this is part of injecting the narrative. This is a, mm -hmm. a sneak a sneak attack of propaganda. And it is, in fact, Merriam-Webster being inauthentic and gaslighting us. So I find it very fascinating that they chose those two words. Because listen, sure, we all live in an echo chamber. We all have people that we hang out with and conversations that we have. And you and I might say, oh, yeah, no, the word of the year for us in our circle was definitely dystopia or whatever, right? Like, it's going to be different no matter where you come from or what you're doing. So the idea is that we're supposed to get like a, a a temperature check, a feeling, an idea of what the rest of the people are talking about. But there's a trick to this. There's a caveat because this is coming from Merriam-Webster's online dictionary. So presumably, without doing too much research into this, this is the idea that this is the, the most highly searched for term on their platform, right? And they have all sorts of recommended words and things. They could be shaping this narrative. They could, from the beginning of the year, create a scenario where by the end of the year, whatever the word of the year is going to be, was helped along by them. So there's that. And then we also have to take what they're saying as, you know, the truth, because we don't know. We don't have the insight to their their data, their numbers. Who knows what the real most – what if the number one search term was Christianity? Do you think they're going to come out and say that? No. Or, or you know, uh, ceasefire. What if the number one word were ceasefire? We'll never <laughs> right. hear about that, Miss Dean. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And it is it is very funny that the word this year is authentic and last year it was gaslighting. I mean, the, uh, <laughs> the contradiction there is uh, interesting for sure. And no, there's no question about... Uh, the idea that is, um, as as uh, 
kind of uh, ridiculous and silly as it seems that the word of the year might be used uh, to push a narrative or to push propaganda. Of course it is. Everything is. Um, and so uh, there's no doubt that the word authentic is certainly an attempt to push some sort of uh, agenda in some way. How exactly? I don't know. But uh, I, I I think it's a very strange choice. I don't hear a lot of people. Again, I, I must just be hanging out with the wrong people. So I don't know. Um, all right, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We're going to be right back with Kyle Anslow and right after this right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. All right. I'm very excited. Our guest for today is friend of the show, Kyle Anslow. Kyle is an incredible journalist who hosts the amazing show Conflicts of Interest, which, by the way, just recently celebrated 500 episodes. Uh, go check it out. Subscribe. You can find it on YouTube um, and some other various video platforms, but then also anywhere that you can find podcasts. Um, Kyle also serves as the opinion editor for Antiwar.com, as well as the news editor for the Libertarian Institute. Um, and just really quickly, speaking of the Institute, I'm going to let Kyle uh, talk a little bit about the Institute, but they are currently doing their end of the year fundraiser. Um, um, they do awesome work over there. As I say all the time, I am not myself a libertarian. Uh, that doesn't prevent me from appreciating the work that they do over there. So they publish a ton of books and have a, a ton of great uh, writers over there. So definitely go check them out. Uh, it is tax deductible and you can head over to libertarianinstitute.org uh, and make a donation. Now, Kyle, thanks for being here, my friend. Yeah, Misty, thank you so much for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I know that I've had you do this before, but uh, for anybody who may have missed it or wasn't listening that time, um, tell us a little bit about the Institute quickly uh, and the work that you guys do over there and why people should donate. 
Yeah, so we've been around almost 10 years now. And in those 10 years, we've done a host of things. Uh, there's multiple podcasts that's hosted through the Institute. I write news articles in the news section of the website every day. We have brand new op-eds out every day. And maybe the biggest and most important thing is that we publish books. Uh, so far, 10 books. A lot of them are foreign policy based. Uh, four of Scott Horton's and all of those, of course, are foreign policy. His, his great one on the Afghan war. Uh, enough all uh, fool's errand and the one on the war on terror enough already and then uh, we have a, a series of books that are about to come out including scott's new book uh, that is about the the war in Ukraine uh, called Provoked. That's really, I've read some early drafts of it and it's really good. So if you want to help us to keep doing what we're doing, me, myself writing the news articles every day, us playing out all these books, head on over to libertarianinstitute.org and make a donation. We do have kit bats, including getting some free books. So you can have one Scott's books. We also have one that I think is very timely to read right now by Sheldon Richmond called Coming to Palestine on really like the founding of Israel and uh, some of the very early things that happened in what is now um, has led to this slaughter in Gaza. Yeah. And um, it's uh, the work that you guys do over there is so important, I think, in my opinion. Uh, again, go check it out for yourself. Uh, peruse the stuff that's over there on the Institute's website. Uh, I highly cannot recommend Scott Horton's books enough. I cannot. Like, I, I realize I talk about Scott and his books and his work in general a lot. Uh, it's because it's deserved praise. So um, it, it, if nothing else, just go over there, make a donation, get one of Scott's books for yourself. Um, any of them will be good. Uh, I think personally for me, uh, enough already was uh, the most eye-opening for me, but any of them will do. They're all fantastic. Um, okay, Kyle, let's uh, jump into uh, the Ukraine situation. Obviously, um, the world's eye has been trained, uh, rightfully so, on Israel-Palestine, but the Ukraine situation has definitely not gone anywhere. Um, uh, the <laughs> the popularity of it has waned. I think Zelensky is feeling a little bit uh, left out these days, um, but there's definitely still uh, stuff taking place. And you have an article, kind of a bombshell article, uh, out from November 25th over at antiwar.com. Uh, Ukrainian official confirms Russia was ready to end war in March 20 of 22, 2022 if Kyiv uh, agreed to neutrality, which uh, I think this was something that we all kind of uh, guessed. Uh, but tell us a little bit about what was said here. Yeah. So, Misty, this is the, the person who made this statement is the head of the servant of the People's Party in the Ukrainian par uh, legislature. And that's Zelensky's party, of course. And he was the lead negotiator in Istanbul for these talks. And so, you know, this is somebody who's close to Zelensky, who was involved with the talks. And so that, that that's really important here because this is from the Ukrainian side of firsthand experience. And what he says, what happened, and one of the very important things is that he said that Ukrainian neutrality is the real issue not denazification uh they weren't that concerned about the ethnic russians in ukraine and so what you know the west was really telling us at this time is it's not about neutrality it's not about the nato issue it's about regime change in kiev and of course they were saying that to, to get that regime change in kiev the uh kremlin was using the pretext of denazification and here, here you have one of the people who would be you know, kicked out of office, right out of office, saying that actually that wasn't that important to Russia. So I think that's a pretty good indication that they really were just concerned about neutrality. Now, he goes on to say that we weren't 
inclined to accept this agreement because we were concerned that Russia would just back out of it a few years down the line. And so we would have declared neutrality and Russia would have said, ah, we won't invade, but really they would have invaded a few years later. Um, But he also goes in, in that statement, he also adds that uh, we were looking for Western security guarantees and there was just no offer of those whatsoever. And so maybe if there were some Western security guarantees thrown in, uh, Kiev would have considered this. But I think the most important part of this statement is he says that once they returned from Istanbul to Kiev, that's when then uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson showed up and he told Zelensky that you should choose to fight and that the West wouldn't back any agreement. And so it seems like that really did cement the Boris Johnson visit really did cement in Kiev that they were choosing to fight rather than choosing diplomacy. He makes it clear that they were leaning in that direction anyways. But, you know, what would have happened, Misty, if Boris Johnson had come to Kiev with the opposite message, which was, look, I really think you should negotiate an end to this thing. At the end of the day, it doesn't seem like you guys could really win this war. Russia is offering to give back all the territory they've taken since February 22nd. This seems like a pretty good deal. And, and he said the exact opposite. And that's what the the path the Ukrainians chose. Yeah. Yes. And it's and I mean, you reported on this very early on that you uh, uh, thought that that was what was really taking place. I think most people who were paying attention to this uh, recognize that this really had nothing to do. I mean, we were told that this was unprovoked and that, you know, Vladimir Putin's just this nutbag who woke up one day on the wrong side of the bed and decided to invade Ukraine. And it was never about that. It was never about it was always about always. And I think it was always very obvious to me anyway, uh, that this was about preventing Ukraine from uh, joining NATO. And so uh, that this kind of information is now starting to trickle out on a regular basis. We're starting to get that peek behind the curtain about what this whole thing was about. It just makes me really angry again, all over again, that um, an entire generation of Ukrainian men essentially was uh, sacrificed on the altar of Western imperialism. uh, And it didn't have to be that way. And you're absolutely right that Boris Johnson visit, had he gone in there with an entirely different attitude and proposal and genuinely was advocating for peace, things would have been incredibly different uh, for not just Ukraine, but for the world, really. I mean, this has impacted the globe, um, but it would have been an incredibly different situation for the people of Ukraine. And it just makes me angry uh, that, you know, once again, we felt that it was okay to use Ukrainian bodies as cannon fodder um, in our, you know, bid to try to weaken Russia uh, economically and militarily. It's just very frustrating that this is how it all played out. So we should take a quick break and get some headlines, but hang tight. We'll be right back with more from Kyle here on TNT Radio. Hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, we're breaking news. Oh, okay, carry on. TNT Radio News. TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and owner of X, traveled to Israel to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu then travel with Netanyahu to visit Kibbutz Kafar Aza, a southern town in Israel, one of the major targets of the Hamas terror attacks on October 7th. Six teenagers go on trial on Monday in Paris for their alleged roles in the beheading of a teacher who showed caricatures of the Prophet of Islam to his class, a killing that led authorities to reaffirm France's cherished rights of expression and secularism. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
yes, please go to whatever platform you enjoy TNT Radio on, comment, subscribe, share, uh, like, do all of those things. It really helps algorithmically uh, to get uh, this kind of stuff out in front of more people. So definitely do that to help us out. Okay, um, uh, uh, to, we're here with Kyle Anslone to continue on the Ukraine uh, stuff because this is something, again, that really people aren't really talking about much these days. Um, but I think it's another uh, really depressing and sad state of affairs in Ukraine. You have an article out from November 26th. Um, Ukraine is running low on manpower, sets up checkpoints to conscript draft evaders. And we've seen uh, kind of the corruption within the the, the draft system. Uh, you know, it, it, even Zelensky had to fire dozens, I think it was dozens of people um, from the drafting centers, uh, the recruitment centers, I'm sorry. Um, uh, so it seems as if uh, it's not really helped out. And I, I've also just seen a recent video where it looks like the average age of the Ukrainian soldier is uh, quite elevated at this point. So uh, tell us about these checkpoints. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if you've seen the recent video. There's like a, a woman performing a song yeah. for a bunch of Ukrainian soldiers in an auditorium. And not only do they look completely disinterested, but yeah. they're also shockingly uh, old in age for you know a group of men about to be deployed to the front lines. And in fact, Misty, there's a, an article that I reference in the story that you're talking about from the Associated Press uh, last month where they said that not only are the French instructors unwilling to form close bonds with the Ukrainians because they think they're going to likely end up dying on the front lines or being wounded on the front lines. And, you know, they just can't bear that emotional burden, which is kind of understandable, although, you know, there's something really dark about that uh, from the trainer's perspective, too. But the the it said that the Ukrainian soldiers had resigned themselves to the grimness of their future because they knew almost certainly that they would be dying on the front lines. And so, you know, when that's the reality you face, you end up with a lot of Ukrainians, uh, you know, particularly the young men who did everything they can to either get out of the country or get medical deferments. And so this has created a, a problem for Kiev as they want to engage in these, you know, small group infantry maneuvers. They need young men to go run across the trenches, um, probably going to get shot, probably going to get blown up by a mine, but maybe they'll get across. Maybe they'll make a little bit of a difference, uh, you know, in the warfare. That's what Kiev's thinking. So uh, they've run into a manpower shortage and not only that. They've really run into like a training slash manpower shortage where they can't train their soldiers in Ukraine because the tar the training centers will be targeted by Russia. And, um, you know, there's only a limited number of training that could go on outside of the country. And, and so this has been a real problem for the Ukrainians. And on top of that, they just don't have enough soldiers at this point to do the high casualty maneuvers that the West is pushing them into. And so they've set up checkpoints everywhere in Ukraine. They've started picking up young men that way. Another thing is it seems they've really gotten rid of the medical deferment program. Now, Maybe if you're in a wheelchair or paraplegic or something like that, they won't actually conscript you. Uh, but the uh, Financial Times reports that there's people with pretty serious injuries, you know, serious knee injuries, back injuries, uh, mental uh, health injuries that they that they've sustained who are going to be thrown into the war. And, and so it doesn't seem like they're going to be given much of a chance. Yeah. And it's, again, just makes me really angry. Now I have seen also, I just wanted to ask if you had uh, heard anything about this. I also heard that women were also being conscripted and I've seen videos of uh, pregnant women on the front lines. Do you know if there's any validity to that? I haven't had a chance myself to really dig into it. Um, is that actually happening? 
So I, I can't say for sure on either. I have read reports about the women being conscripted. And when I've looked for some kind of official announcement or declaration for Kiev, I, I can't find it. And I, I can't find it from any source that, you know, kind of leans towards Kiev in, in which you would say, oh, this is definitely going on. But that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. As the pregnant one, I have not seen anything remotely like that. So I, I'm not sure. But maybe and who knows that could even be pro-war propaganda the state you know we're in sometimes misty look a pregnant woman could do anything including fight and die for her country (laughs) yeah that wouldn't surprise me but yeah i'd seen uh, a video and again i always anytime i see a video like that i'm very skeptical especially when it's coming out of a war zone um you never really know exactly what you're getting um and i just seen a a, there was a russian soldiers were approaching a, a female ukrainian soldier and she was saying please don't shoot me i'm pregnant please don't shoot me i'm pregnant and i just didn't know if you'd heard anything about the validity of that but for sure as you say something definitely to keep an eye on um i don't put it past them but uh, i can't uh validate that in any way either i haven't had a chance to look into it so i was uh wondering if maybe you had um okay so i want to shift gears a little bit um because i want to make sure that we can get to israel palestine that's obviously uh, the topic of the day um and has been for some time but i do want to talk a little bit about uh, north korea and south korea um uh you and i have been talking about this uh pretty much every time you've been on and there's been a couple different things going on so Uh, First of all, um, you have an article out at the Libertarian Institute. Again, they're doing their end of the year fundraiser. Please go check it out, libertarianinstitute.org. North Korea scraps 2018 military pact with South South after Seoul walks back back commitments. Uh, So what's going on in, uh, in North Korea with this? Yeah, Missy, I'm so happy you always ask me about North Korea because I feel like Biden has really gotten a pass here. Now, it's yeah. understandable. He's trying to start a war with China. He's already started a proxy war with Russia. He's trying to start a, a massive war in the Middle East. So I, it's excusable that you're not paying to what, attention to what's happening on the Korean Peninsula. But Biden has really, you know, at first on a slow, but then pretty hot has really ramped up tensions on the Korean Peninsula. And so with tensions already heightened, we've you know we really returned to the 2016, 2017 time where the US and South Korea are carrying out these massive war games all the time. In fact, they've gotten far more provocative because the US has started including Japan in all these war games. Uh, under the Biden administration, they've really pushed South Korea and Japan closer together, which I think a lot of Americans just assume that they must get along because they're both American allies. But actually, um, there's a lot of hostility between the two countries over uh, Japan's imperial legacy in South Korea. There's still a lot of uh, men who were you know, turned into slaves or, or forced soldiers, uh, Koreans, or, you know, the women who are, you know, used as comfort women uh, in Japan. And and so, you know, there's a lot of Koreans with real grievances against Japan. And the U.S. has really pushed the Japanese, uh, the Korean government to try to overlook those grievances and just normalize relations with Japan and to gauge in more military ties between these two countries. And this has been seen as extremely provocative by Pyongyang. North uh, Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader, has been screaming since last summer that the U.S. is trying to create an Asian NATO. And of course, he thinks that they're going to use that to do a regime change and take him out. So, uh, you know, he's been very concerned and North Korea has really been ramping up uh, their military programs. And one of the military programs they've been trying to work on over the past couple of years has been their space and satellite surveillance. And so three times now they've attempted to launch a military surveillance satellite and place it into orbit. The third time 
on um, Monday or Tuesday last week. They were finally successful, and this provoked a major reaction from South Korea and Washington, condemning North Korea, saying they're going to put on more sanctions, and uh, they, they, you know, they carried out some uh, different drills and things like that. Uh, but additionally, South Korea said that they were going to resume surveillance operations along the demilitarized zone. And this was significant because it was South Korea's real official first official uh, step away from an agreement signed in 2018 that really de-escalated the situation on the Korean Peninsula. If you remember, there was a time where North and South Korean soldiers were coming together, shaking hands along the demilitarized zone. Uh, North Korea was blowing up its military outpost uh, along the demilitarized zone, and, and we're really moving in the right direction. And now we've completely walked away from that. In fact, Misty, right after I get done recording with you, I'm about to publish an art, another article at the Libertarian Institute on this uh, because North Korea has begun uh, putting up those military outposts. They're, they put up some new construction. They have uh, armed soldiers along the DMZ again. Great. Yeah. And you thank me for asking about it, but uh, I wouldn't be asking about it if you didn't cover it. So thank you for covering it. It is uh, something that I don't think a lot of people are, are covering or talking about. So it's definitely uh, something that's very much on the back burner, but I think more people need to be talking about it because it seems like uh, this has been, I mean, as I mentioned, we talk about this frequently, you and I, um, but it seems like it's been kind of, uh, you know, very kind of, um, uh, slowly escalating over the past, I don't know, maybe six months or so for sure. So uh, definitely something that I'm glad that you're covering that we can talk about when you're on the show because it's uh, definitely something that we need to keep an eye on. Okay, we've taken another quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be right back with more here on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The biggest weather news is what is about to happen in Europe. I saw another one of those pictures of Greta Thunberg protesting today. I guess today is like week 300 or something of the climate strike where kids are allowed to be truant and uh, you know to protest climate but she was all bundled up and i was like well wait a minute looks awfully cold over there and uh were there fossil fuels used in the making of those clothes that you have on but i want to get serious about this the fact that we are getting such a cold blast that is coming in and this was telegraphed with those big storms and the reason you see what's going on in the weather today is because all the weathermen start screaming and yelling about climate change instead of understanding the same thing happened in 2009 and they went into the deep freeze over there. But it's a serious situation. You know why? Well, first of all, the implications of that is that the United States is going to get very cold. Now, it's cold right now, but I'm talking about what could be really cold weather, severe cold, in the month of January because there's probably going to be a lot of snow in the United States during the month of December, especially after the 20th. So what we saw in 2009, 2010 was Europe got it in 2009 in December, and then the U.S. had their famous snowmageddon, and that occurred later in January and February. It'd be a little bit earlier this year, probably, looking at the overall pattern. But think about this. You're going to get that grid in Europe tested now, and especially Germany. Germany looks like ground zero for the worst weather, the most snow, it's going to be a little bit colder relative to averages up where Greta lives. But Germany is going to be in bad shape here in the next 10 to 20 days. But again, then you have to worry about the rest of the winter. You see what I'm saying? So we're going to have some things push come to shove, so to speak, coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And in fact, the next couple of months, because unlike last winter, I don't think this is backing off this year. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bustardi. 
asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with Kyle Anslin. We're talking uh, about some foreign policy stuff that Kyle's been covering. You can check him out at antiwar.com as well as the Libertarian Institute, um, who is currently doing their end-of-the-year fundraiser. So please go check them out. Uh, and if you feel so inclined, make a donation. It is tax deductible. Um, okay, so let's jump into Israel-Palestine. Obviously, it is, that's, I mean, uh, it's all I can think about at this point. Um, uh, and there's multiple things that we can talk about here. I want to start, though, because, and this is, the, the article that I'm uh, going to discuss here with you is a little bit old, uh, older. It's from November 17th, uh, but I think it ties in uh, with an article that Dave DeCamp, who is uh, a colleague of yours over at antiwar.com, um, and it kind of goes together, uh, uh, generally speaking, about the way that we are receiving information. And the article that you wrote is Human Rights Warn, I'm sorry, Human Rights Watch warns Gaza communications blackout could cover up atrocities. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because uh, the Dave DeCamp article, and I'm sure many people have seen this, uh, a lot of people were talking about this a couple of days ago, uh, but it, the, the the title is Biden admin worries the pause in Gaza will give journalists more access to expose Israeli atrocities. And I just really think that that's very indicative of the American uh, attitude about this, that it's it's very clearly that we don't care about hostages or humanity or any of that stuff. We're worried about uh, journalists, journalism being able to expose uh, the genocide that Israel is currently uh, acting out in uh, on Palestinians. So talk a little bit about that and how, I mean, you're a journalist. I'm sure that this is something that uh, you're concerned with. We've seen, I don't even know how many journalists we're up to now be murdered in Gaza uh, and in Palestine in general. Uh, so talk a little bit about this. Yeah. So the the number killed in Gaza alone last week when I checked, uh, Committee for the Protection of Journalists, I think is the ones uh, doing the, the best work. It was up to 40 sits, which they said in, in their three plus decade history, I think they were founded around 1992, that this was the deadliest conflict for journalists um, yeah. that they've ever tracked, which, you know, tracks with a lot of other uh, war, essentially worse things are worse things since World War II, you know, going on in Gaza. If you look at the uh, the UN, they say more of their staff members have been killed in Gaza, a uh, hundred so far, the most in a short period of time is how they describe it. And then even the New York Times reported that um, Israel was killing uh, Palestinians at what they called a historic pace. And you had to look back to Vietnam or World War II uh, to see something like what you see in Gaza. Uh, but even then, you know, looking at Vietnam, that was a fairly rural country. Yeah, we dropped a lot of 2,000 pound bombs on that country, but most of the time they weren't jam packed into refugee camps. Like, most of the bombs Israel's dropping on Gaza right now. So the, the situation is absolutely horrific. And like you said, I wrote that article a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was really important uh, that there was about to be a communications blackout in Gaza. And it, it turned out to be more important than I even initially realized because the, it turned out for a couple of days, the UN wasn't evil, even able to bring aid into Gaza. And, and when they say communications blackout, Missy, they don't mean like your cell phone doesn't work. You as a regular, nobody 
has communication. Yeah. The UN can't coordinate bringing aid into Gaza. So it, it's uh, nobody has any any communication, and that's a, a real problem. And so not only did it deprive the people of Gaza of aid, but of course, you, you know, for me and you who want to cover this stuff and want to talk about it, but we, you know, we certainly can't get into Gaza. Um, it, it means we had to rely on people there. And if they can't upload videos and take photos and show those to the world, then nobody could see what's going on. And this means Israel has complete cover to do essentially whatever they want because they control the narrative and in like the way that they control everything that's happened in Gaza, including how much food you get, how much water you get to drink, how much, how many hours a day that you have electricity. Um, if you get to leave at all, even if it's to say, treat, seek cancer treatment, you know, all these things are absolutely limited by Israel and, and Tel Aviv controls Gaza. And so, um, yeah, that's huge. And then that political article, I, this is one of those things where you read it and then you say, no, that that really can't be what they're saying. And you read it <laughs> two or three or four times just to make sure before you hit the send button on that tweet that you're not going to make yourself look a little stupid uh, by misreading, you know, something. In it. But no, the Biden administration said that they were concerned uh, that, you know, people are going to start taking pictures and showing pictures of the war crimes. They didn't say war crimes. I think they just said the, you know, the devastation. but you know, the war crimes, the devastation is war crimes uh, that, that have happened in Gaza. And, uh, you, you know, some of the things I've seen tweeted out, particularly by Trita Parsi, if everybody's not following him on Twitter, it's definitely a good follow because he really does a good job to make sure everything he's putting out is because confirmed and everything like that. And uh, some of the devastation is just, you know, just bodies laying all over the streets. And, yeah. you, you know, knowing what happened, say, in Mosul and the U.S. bombing campaign against that city and the fact that even years later, bodies were still trapped underneath the rubble there. I can't imagine that all these Palestinians are going are ever going to be found. You know, most of them are just going to rot under these piles of rubble until an Israeli bulldozer pushes it away. And it's a real tragedy that that's the situation, but our government's backing it, Misty. Yeah. And in fact, they are using uh, American weapons to do it. And uh, we should also mention, too, that this communication blackout also really impedes their ability to get an accurate death count. I think, obviously, the Gaza Health Ministry is historically known for uh, being fairly accurate, although the Biden administration uh, tried to pretend as if that we couldn't trust those numbers. Historically speaking, anytime there is a situation like this, they have been fairly accurate in their numbers uh, in terms of death count and injuries and all of that stuff. Uh, but when you have a communication blackout, you have these different areas of Gaza who are unable to communicate with like that center uh, uh that center contact point where they can you know relay uh, uh body counts and all of that stuff which is horribly morbid to be saying out loud but that's the reality of the situation there and so um you know people keep talking about this death count it's much higher it is much higher than is being reported currently because as you said there's thousands of people buried under rubble that they um they just don't have the ability to count they don't have the uh heavy machinery to dig them out I mean we've seen the videos of fathers desperate trying to dig their children out from underneath rebel with their bare hands. Um, so uh, I think that the death count is grossly underreported. Um, and I think that it's 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 likely that we will never have an, a fully accurate because as you said, it's going to take so long that many of these people will just never be accounted for, which is 
I mean, just horrible to even think about, but that's the reality of the situation. So um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit. Um, I actually did a, a huge monster Twitter thread recently of uh, 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 all of the ways or, or all of the, not all, because it's impossible to get all, um, but as many as I could find of high level Israeli officials, their Western counterparts, their proxies, all of that stuff, uh, openly calling for genocide and ethnic cleansing. And there are so many of these instances. And you wrote an article from November 19th about the deputy speaker of the Israeli Knesset saying, quote, we are too humane, burn Gaza now, no less, end quote. And he's far from the only person who's saying things like this. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, you kind of say it all there with, with the quote, you know, he's calling to burn Gaza. And, and at times there have been Israeli politicians that sound far more moderate than the Lindsey Graham types in the U.S. Uh, some of the Israeli politicians have sounded just like Lindsey Graham. And, you know, it's extremely disturbing. And, and in fact, Missy, I just uh, I tweeted this out yesterday. It's an a uh, story about Cindy McCain, the the widow of John McCain, who is actually complaining about the lack of aid getting into Gaza. And so, you know, to have that man's wife <laughs> concerned about the humanitarian situation really <laughs> says something about how how terrible it is. But yeah, there's there's a really good article by Caitlin Johnstone. I, we ran it maybe as even the spotlight article at antiwar.com last week, where she put all these uh, together. And, you know, the only person that I believe got, you know, even a slap on a wrist was the Israeli minister who called for dropping a nuclear weapon on Gaza. And mm -hmm. I'm convinced, Minsky, that that official was only given that slap on the wrist because his admission that Israel has nukes, right? Mm -hmm. This is a, a big secret, not secret, right? Everybody knows that Israel has nukes. But if it's officially admitted that Israel has nukes, then Israel has a problem because American law says that we can't give foreign aid, foreign military aid to countries with nukes that don't have a you know, official MPT type nuclear program. Israel's is illegal and outside of international inspection and all of that. And we give a, a good amount of money, three point something, three point three, three point eight billion dollars every year to Israel for their military. And they do not want to lose that money. All the other American unconditional support, I think, is tied in there, too. Right. Where if we cut back on the military, maybe there will be just less of this uh, diehard support among Americans that this is the policy that we back Israel. And so it could really all start to crumble if Israel has to officially admit and all the American Republicans even have to admit that Israel has nuclear weapons. And so, yeah, that it, it, but there doesn't seem to be any real concern about, um, you know, these, these statements from the Israeli officials. And it's crazy, Missy, because every time you end up arguing with a Zionist on Twitter, they'll say, admit that some members of Hamas say that every Israeli has to die. And it's like, okay, but the Israelis say that too. And we still yeah. have situations like we've had all, every time there's one of these bombing campaigns in Gaza, there's Israeli citizens that go watch like the Americans do 4th of July fireworks. Yes. You know what I mean? They, they love watching Israel drop those 2000 pound bombs on refugee camps that just tear babies apart limb from limb and they, yeah. they watch it and they celebrate it. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hatred here and it's very, very disgusting. And the fact that, you, you know, as Americans, you know, our government isn't trying to look and, and be the mediator here and, you know, try to get people to, to walk back this hatred. We're just contributing to it and furthering it. It's, it's, so disgusting, Misty. 
Yeah, that's just kind of our MO. That's what we do, generally speaking, in any of these conflicts. And Kyle's not exaggerating. Uh, there's a town that's right on the border of Gaza. And anytime uh, bombs are dropped, they go and set out their little folding chairs like it's uh, the 4th of July and they go watch the fireworks. That's a real thing that Israelis do. It is so disturbing. Max Blumenthal has uh, reported on that um, uh, from on the ground. And it is so disturbing that that is the attitude there. And frankly, Kyle, I'm so tired of people being like, oh, yeah, well, Hamas said this. Listen, if I... Uh, and I'm I'm tired of like dancing around this. If I live in Gaza and Israelis have been um, uh, holding me hostage, my, me and my family for decades, brutalizing me and my my kids, uh, snipers shooting my the, my children, uh, starving me, uh, stealing my house, uh, you know, bulldozing my olive groves. I'm gonna have an attitude about that too, Kyle. I don't know about you. I'm gonna have a little bit of an attitude about that. I'm not gonna like those people very much, and frankly, I'm gonna be pretty inclined to fight back against that. And it's so bizarre to me uh, that people are unable to uh, recognize that and put themselves in the shoes of the Palestinian people. Because if that's me, my guy, I'm not going to be nice about it. And I don't think most people would. I think that uh, uh, most people would fight back, especially uh, if you are somebody who has lived there uh, for a very long time. As somebody t uh, tweeted out the other day that, um, uh, uh, hey, Hamas and Israel um, was it worth it or do, do you think, I don't, I don't remember what it was. And I'm like, listen, y'all, the adults in Gaza know exactly what's at stake here. They understand, I think they were talking about the children who are being impacted and the adults of Gaza know what's at stake here. They know how this is impacting their kids. They know what the, the life uh, of a child in Gaza is. They were those kids and they were born to people who were those kids. They understand exactly what's at stake here. So it's absurd to think that, uh, uh, the people of Gaza don't understand, uh, what's going on here and they're not fighting legitimately for their freedom i mean i hate the term freedom fight fighters it's so ridiculous and overused and it's uh there's a lot of heavy propaganda connotation underneath of it but they are genuinely fighting for their freedom and they have every right under international law to resist their occupiers period that's just the reality of the situation um so i also want to talk to you we're almost out of time here but uh this is something that you very early on called um uh but netanyahu ally says pm's days are numbered and you said very early on in this conflict um that because of of uh, Netanyahu's all the corruption scandals and all of that stuff that this seemed uh, like it may be a way for him to maintain power uh, by going into a war. We all know that that's a very effective way, which is gross, but that's the reality of it. So talk a little bit about that really quick. Yeah. So what I said at, at, right after October 7th was I thought that Netanyahu would essentially be able to only hold on to power so long as the military operation is going on in Gaza. And I was really concerned that rather than having his legacy being the, the October 7th attack and the corruption kind of all culminating to force him out of, of office, that he would decide that he would have maybe a last act and sacrifice his, his reputation to just completely ethnically cleanse Gaza. And I, I, I think that may be what's going on here, uh, truly going on here, Misty. Now, there are some people within the Israeli government that want to remove Netanyahu before the fighting is over. My guess is that's probably politically unwise for Tel Aviv. Netanyahu has a very strong relationship with Joe Biden and is very good at operating and playing on the West. And so I think he'll probably hang on as long as the fighting's going on. But once that's yeah. over, uh, the Israeli people are tired of him, which is yes. good news. And there's a fantastic article by my co-host um, at Conflicts of Interest, Connor Freeman and Scott Horton at antiwar.com and the Libertarian Institute. It basically explaining how 
the Hamas in supporting Hamas from Tel Aviv has been the policy of Netanyahu and his Likud party for decades because it meant that they didn't have to negotiate with the Palestinians on two state solution. And they, you know, figured that they could just deal with the minor terrorist attacks, you know, the, the old, uh, um, terrorism as a small price to pay for being an empire idea is, is what they yeah. had. And so, um, very, you know, very important article there and, uh, everybody yes. check it out. It was recently discussed on the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, I saw that. And actually I've talked about that article a couple different times on the show and Scott was here and we talked about, uh, the, uh, Netanyahu support for Hamas. So definitely go check that out. All right, Kyle, unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, obviously we'll be having you back soon. Everybody check out Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Anzalone underscore. And of course, check out the show conflicts of interest and find his work on antiwar.com and the Libertarian Institute and go donate to the Libertarian Institute. If you are so inclined, I'll be back tomorrow with another show for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now. Don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea right after this on TNT radio.